Well, guys, we are in the, uh, the second week of this sermon series uh, call, on, on Jonah, right? And um, if you were here last week, then you know uh, Austin walked us through the first chapter of, of Jonah. And I don't know if you caught it when he was talking. He, he told us that Jonah had a big butt. You remember that? I don't know if you guys caught that. But in the first three verses, we learned that Jonah, a prophet of Israel, had been told by God to go to Nineveh and warn them of God's coming judgment against it, but he went in the opposite way instead. See, that was the big but. Okay, whatever. It, it didn't really work for Austin either, but you know, I thought I'd give it a try. So, so Jonah, the thing is, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Instead, he went to Joppa, and then he boarded a ship to Tarshish. Now, the, the location of Tarshish um, isn't known for certain, but it was most likely near present-day Spain, near the, the Strait of Gibraltar, right? It's all the way at the absolute east end of the Mediterranean Sea. It's, uh, in, in different verses it ta- throughout the Bible, it talks about a round-trip journey to Tarshish was a three-year process. So Jonah was absolutely serious about running from God. But we also learned that Jonah knew that he was disobedient, and he even used his human yardstick of of fairness as his justification. See, Jonah's not a good dude, okay? Um, In fact, I dare say that although God chose to use Jonah, um, he is quite the opposite. I think he's he's kind of a schmuck. Um, He couldn't stand the idea that God would show mercy to the hated Ninevites. See, he thought that that this other culture, these other people, he thought of them as beneath him, right? Now, I'll, I'll give you that the Ninevites were a brutal people, right? Um, they were known for their brutality to women and to captured soldiers. Um, in the book of Nahum, Nineveh is referred to as the city of murder and lies. So maybe some of this, his feelings are, are warranted, um, but Jonah didn't go the other way because he was afraid of Nineveh, he went the other way because he couldn't see the value in their conversion. He didn't want to share God's forgiveness. He was simply rebellious. He adamantly did not want God to bestow mercy on those that he considered worse sinners than than him. So Jonah buys this this ticket, this, you know, on the on this ship, and intentionally sets sail in the opposite direction. But Because of his disobedience, he exposes innocent people to the collateral damage of of his sin. See, these sailors that were on the ship with him, you know, they get caught up in this this freak storm too, alongside him. And these are experienced sailors, right? They've, they've, you know, they've sailed this, this sea many times, and they are genuinely scared here because this is a supernatural storm. You know, the largest documented storm in the Mediterranean Sea happened two years ago with, speed, with wind speeds of, of up to 121 miles per hour. Now, that's a natural storm, but the one in this story is a supernatural storm. Now, how do we know that? We know that because God is dramatic, right? And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but if you've read the Bible, you know God is dramatic. He makes a big entrance when he does things, Right? Um, we know that we know that he's dramatic because of how this storm started and stopped. It says, 
it, it said in, the, in that verse, I don't know if I had that verse up yet. I don't. It says in that, in that, uh, in that verse that, that God hurled a powerful wind over the sea. What do you imagine it looking like when God hurls anything? This seems pretty, pretty dramatic. And the way that it stopped was just as dramatic too. See, ultimately, the sailors, they decide to toss Jonah overboard to get God to calm down and to calm the storm. And it worked. The storm stopped instantaneously. Jonah hits the water and the sailors hit their knees. When the storm stopped, they recognized God's strength and, and, and the power for what it was. And that's often the case for, you know, for us in, in our lives too. The innocent people in our lives can, can get caught up in the, in the storm that we bring about. And often they perceive the realities of the situation quicker and more accurately than we do. And these unbelieving sailors learn this lesson quickly and, and, and become believers. But unfortunately for Jonah, he's, he's too, too dense to learn his lesson yet. And we read in the last verse of this, of this chapter, says in, in chapter 1, verse 17, this is the last one of, of the first chapter that we studied last week. It says, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Well, in Matthew 12, when Jesus references this passage, he actually uses a word the word kratos, which translates as sea monster in Hebrew and Greek. Now, there's a common word in Hebrew for whale, and Jesus doesn't use that. That, that should tell us something. So chapter 1 ends with this big old cliffhanger, right? Jonah's life has gotten desperate, and, and you can appreciate this because you've, you've been there. You've been desperate. I've been there. So this week, we are going to focus on this. When life gets desperate we have a choice to make. Will we turn to God or away from him? Now, like I said, Jonah's life has, has gotten desperate. It's kind of, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire, right? Um, but in this case, out of the hurricane and into the sea monster or the great fish, whatever we want to want, we use here. But a lot of people focus on, on this aspect of the story, Right, this idea of, of this great fish swallowing this man whole. And I get it. That's, that's pretty awesome to, to think about. But the thing is, the, the big storm and the, the big sea monster or the big fish are not the biggest part of this story. Spoiler alert, as you can expect if you've read through any of these stories, God proves to be bigger than both in this. And so today... Today's message is how to pray at rock bottom. And in these next couple of verses, Jonah gives us a roadmap. He demonstrates how to pray at rock bottom. I want to re just remind you, um, as we go through this, if you want, there's, there's some printouts at the back um, that have notes that go along with the, the sermon. There's also some Bibles back there if you want. You're welcome to use them or take them home or whatever. But we want you to, to take this lesson and, and talk about it with your family and study it. So you're welcome to grab those now or on your way out the, the door. But like I said, Jonah gives us this, this road map about how to pray at rock bottom. You know, when you use a map, 
generally a map has a, a key somewhere on the page to draw special attention to information that is important and might otherwise be overlooked. So this is the key that we're using here today, and that's this. The storm in this story is the catalyst for Jonah's discipline, and the fish is the improbable rescue plan of God. Now, that, that might seem a little bit different than, than maybe the way we've, we've looked at this story in the past, but I think this is important. So our first point today is this. When we run from God, he will let us hit rock bottom. Now, this predicament uh, often of our own making, this, you know, this hitting rock bottom. See, we have to recognize our responsibility in the problem, and then we can finally look up. Maybe you've heard that, that quote, you have, to, you, know, you have to hit rock bottom before you can bounce back, right? You get, maybe you've heard that. Um, I don't know if that concept is absolutely true or not, but I've certainly seen ample evidence of it uh, you know, through my life and my law enforcement career. Um, I, had, I, I had seen countless examples of people who were habitually making bad and, and, and terrible decisions who found themselves in, in jail or in prison and, and realized that they needed to make significant changes in their lives, not that other people needed to stop bothering them or, or offending them or hurting them, but that they needed to make significant changes. And Jonah proves to be the same here. And so in Jonah 2, verses 1 through 6, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. I called to you from the land of the dead. I sank beneath the waves. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. See, the first thing that, that we see here is that Jonah recognizes that he's in it. Right? He is. He's in trouble. And he owns it too. He, he references it here as, as my great trouble. He knows that he is responsible for the choices that he's made. See, this is an important part of, of the dynamic. If Jonah hadn't, if he hadn't recognized that he was responsible for his bad choices, then he would have just claimed to be a victim, right? And, that, and, and doesn't that fit with our I'm a victim culture that we have now? We have this vacuum of, of people stepping up and taking responsibility for, these, for their mistakes these days. And, and, you know, we can blame our, we can blame, uh, you know, any number of, of reasons uh, for our situation. We can blame our race. We can blame our, our gender. We can blame our, our economic status or our physical limitations or whatever else. And, and you know, maybe, maybe these things have some effect on the outcome of our lives, but they have no, nothing to do with us choosing to follow God's way. They have nothing to do with us choosing to take responsibility in our own lives. And so when we find ourselves in trouble again, and, and we will, right? We all know that. Uh, when we find ourselves in trouble again, we need to own our responsibility. And Jonah knows that too. He knows that he's rebelling, and he calls out the trouble that he's in. And he does it pretty accurately too. You know, he, he refers to it as, as the, the, the land of the dead. He says, I, I, I sank, what's he say? I sank down to the very roots 
of the mountains. He's talking about the middle of the Mediterranean Sea here, right? This is 17,000 feet deep. It's three and a quarter miles deep. And so he knows he's, he's dead. That's from 1100 south all the way to the north end of Brigham. Same, same distance. That's how deep that is. He knows that he has seconds to live and he is completely and utterly helpless. But you know what? Jonah knows God's character. He knows he is a merciful God. So he is immediately crying out to God because even through his rebellion, Jonah knows that God is good. He knows that that God's will for him is good. But here's what's really interesting about this. It says, he goes on and he says, you threw me into the ocean depths. Buried, uh, I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. But he's not playing the victim card here. Okay, this is important. He's already owned responsibility for the trouble. But Jonah also knows that it is in God's character to offer discipline because he knows that discipline is love. He knows that he made the choice to run from God and that God is consistent. So he knows that his current predicament is God's will. See, Jonah, he's, you know, he's a prophet of God already. He knows that this is God's character, just like other people know it too. In Psalm 88, Psalm 88 was written by a guy named Heman the Ezraite. Now, I know you probably haven't heard of him very often, but, but Heman has the same kind of thing. He, he recognizes the same attribute about God's character. He says, you have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. And for Jonah and for Heman the Ezraite, it's kind of like a, a child that recognizes that dad caught him doing something wrong and he's presented with no other option than to confess and to be punished justly. And that brings us to my second point here, which is this. We don't always recognize God's rescue plan for what it is. Often it's in the form of unexpected rescue. See guys, discipline is a good thing. It is for our good. Just about everyone needs to learn the hard way. In Hebrews, though, it says this. It says, no discipline, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. Now, guys, how many of us can, can look back you know, all these years later and see that we can appreciate the healthy discipline that was given to us? Now, we didn't like it at the time, right? And in fact, maybe we didn't like it for a long time, but we can see the value in it. And Jonah's no different. In, uh, in Jonah 2, verses 4 through 6, it says, Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. See, there is 
provision even when we don't see it. But did you guys, do you notice that in this, Jonah never mentions the fish in his prayer? Chances are he didn't even realize he was inside the fish. He was on the boat, there's terrible storms happening. He hits the water and it calms instantly. So as soon as he hits the water and he's swallowed, you know, maybe he doesn't know. Maybe, I don't know. But, um, you know, he references, he, you know, that he was in, in Sheol, which um, is, a, is a term for the land of the dead. Here's the point. We're not always aware of God's rescue plan, even when we are right in the middle of it. See, guys, the problem here was that Jonah was, Jonah was drowning. He was sinking into oblivion. But we grab onto this, this crazy story of the giant fish or sea monster or whatever, because from our perspective, Jonah got eaten, right? So, so we see the fish as the problem. But from God's perspective, the sea monster was the rescue submarine. Now, wherever you find yourself, you might not recognize God's rescue plan as a good thing to deliver you. But again, this is, this is his character. This is his history. This is his, his habit. And this is not a unique example of this tactic by God either. He's, he's done this elsewhere, right? See, Jesus' own disciples didn't, res- didn't recognize the rescue plan that God had for mankind through the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. They saw the death of Jesus as a painful thing, as a, as a terrible thing. But it was actually the greatest thing. Because through the shedding of Jesus' innocent blood, we were all given the opportunity to be reconciled with God despite our sin. If only we would turn to God and not our own desires. And that's our third point here. And this is our pivot here. True repentance mean turning, means turning to God instead of away from him. See, we have to align ourselves with his plan instead of insisting on, our, on, on ours. And for Jonah, this means finally accepting God's call on his life, what God commanded him to do. For you, this means finally accepting God's call on your life, doing what God commanded you to do as well. Jonah can no longer escape what he knows to be true. That that God is not a God, but he is the God. He's Yahweh, the one who whispered the universe into existence, the one who calmed the storm, and the only one who can deliver him. In Jonah 2, verses 7 through 9, it says, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple, Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. In this this recorded prayer here, guys, Jonah doesn't even ask for rescue. In fact, he doesn't ask for anything. His soul simply cries out in praise to the God of heaven. His heart in the moment is simply ready to recognize that following his will has gotten him him nowhere and he is fully submissive now to God. He's fully submissive to the natural order of things. 
In Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Now, this is... Have any of you ever had a craving? I remember when Megan was, was pregnant with, uh, with one of our kids, and some of her cravings were, were so strong that there was nothing that she wouldn't send me out to do uh, to get in, in the middle of the night uh, to subdue them. Neither rain, nor sleet, nor snow, nor dark of night. <laughs> Even more than that, though, how about an addiction? Some of you may have found yourself in a really bad situation where addiction controlled your behavior. Well, David wrote this psalm, and he's literally in a desert without water. He, he literally, it says right there in that last part, he's literally in a desert without water, and yet it's his soul thirsting for God that he chooses to write about. So guys, in, in, in our in our soul, we know that we want God. More than that, we know that we need God. In that last sermon series that we, that we did, we learned that it was the world, the flesh, and the, and the devil that were at odds with God. But our soul was designed to be in relationship with him. Now, maybe you felt that. Maybe that's what prompted you to, to get up and go to church today. Or last week, or eight years and seven months ago like it was for me. But more than just going to church, we have to decide to follow God's will and stop following our own. See, guys, we know where following our will will get us, right? That, that part is, is absolutely guaranteed. Our, our human heart is completely depraved. There's nothing good about our hearts. It is only through recognizing that recognizing that, that we are out of control. In fact, we've never even been in control. We cannot escape God. We cannot hide from God. Unfortunately, though, we can decide to turn our heart from God. Unfortunately, we can refuse to answer the door as Jesus stands and knocks at it. And I hope you won't. Because as we close here today, I want you to know what, what Jonah knew. In chapter 4, verse 2, it says, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. There was no doubt about this. There still is no doubt about this. God wants reconciliation with you. He wants a relationship with you. This is the model he made for us, that reconciliation is always the goal. But just as equally true is that we all will recognize Jesus as our God one day, whether we put our trust in him or not. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth 
and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All of nature will one day cry out that Jesus is Lord. It is imperative, though, that you recognize him as Lord in your lifetime here on earth. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is, is coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, a week before he was, he was crucified. And he, as he rides into town on this young donkey, his, his followers are, are lined up on the street and they're, they're shouting and, and, and they're singing. Oh, there it is. They're singing blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus replies and says, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Nature cannot deny who Jesus is. We cannot deny Jesus is God. We can choose to be in a relationship with him. This last verse right here of this chapter is very interesting to me. It says, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. The literal Hebrew reads, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Unlike the prophet Jonah, maybe unlike me, maybe unlike you, this fish responded promptly as soon as it knew God's will. If you don't worship, even the rocks will. I hope you'll make that decision today. Will you guys pray with me? Lord God, uh, I know in my own life there have been times when I have purposefully been rebellious. And... Um, you and I both know that there was times I tried to convince myself that, that it was right. I used all kinds of manner of, of yardstick to, to, um, to prove that my way was the right way. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are consistent and that when, when, I, when I intended on going my way, I thank you for the discipline that was shown to me and the way that you, that you got my attention, sometimes dramatically so that I could align myself, so I could align my heart with you. And so, Lord, as, as, uh, as we finish this message today, I just ask that whoever else is, is in this room that's, that's heard this message and, and is thinking about their own rebellion, their own intentional rebellion, times when they have, have convinced themselves that I'm going to go this way, even though I, I can read it clearly in the Bible that it says I'm supposed to do something else. Lord, I just... I just ask that you would help convict our hearts today. Um, I, don't want, I don't want us to have to have a dramatic uh, hurricane or, or a, a, a giant fish kind of a moment in our lives to get our attention. Lord, I just want us, to, I want us to learn from this story and decide that we don't want to be pushed to that point to, to give you our attention. And so I, I ask that you would convict our hearts that that change that's needed would come about, that, that we would not only hear this message, but that we would contemplate it, that we'd take it home and we would really consider it more, and that we would cry out to you, knowing that you will answer us. And it might not be the way that we expect you to answer us, it might not be the way that we want you to answer us, but we know that you will, because that is your character. 
And we love you for that. And we hope that, that those changes that come about through the application of, of this lesson, we hope that those changes glorify you as, as we change, as we become new people from the inside out. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together, to, to study this together, to love on each other, and to glorify you. And so as we, as we get into this last song, Lord, we hope that you are glorified. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.